All right. While they receive the offering, we're just going to go ahead and dump, dive right into our new sermon series called The Church of Jesus Christ. And it's not what you think. All right. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's not what you think at all. It's not what you think at all. Um, we are going to be, we're beginning today an eight-week series, an, eight, an eight-week sermon series on the church. And we're really wrestling through the questions, uh, what is the church? Uh, on a core foundational basic level, right, the church is something that's been around for 2,000 years. What is it? Where does it come from? As a follower of Jesus, what is your role or your responsibility to it or in it? What is the church supposed to do? How is the church supposed to engage? How is it supposed to be led and run and organized? As we open the Bible, what does the Bible say about all of those things? The reality is, is that the church, this, the doctrine of the church, is something that's never taught on anymore. It's rare. It's rare. In the past 50 years, it has become rare to hear preachers preach on it, to see books accurately written about it. Even the sermons that I have been able to find of preachers preaching on it, um, it's interesting. It's interesting when you look pre-50 years ago, you, you look back 100 years ago, and you read the readings and you, and, you li- and you read the sermons that were written 100 years ago in the church, they are radically deeper, radically more clear, radically more um, just kind of wondrous as they speak of the beauty of the church versus sermons that are preached today. It's really, really interesting to me. It's fascinating. I would say it's one of the topics that most followers of Jesus would claim that they know a lot about and yet know very, very little. If you were to stand up here and and answer that question, what is the church? Most of you in the room could probably give some sort of answer to that. You'd say, well, I know what the church is. It's, It's this. But if I were to press you on it, which would be very uncomfortable for you, you, we would quickly find out that your answer is actually quite weak. It's actually quite shallow and unclear. It's muddy and uncertain. If you were over the age of 50 years old and you grew up in a healthy church, you may have an accurate, clear, biblical, wonderful understanding of the church. You may, you may. But if that does not describe you, if you are not over the age of 50 and you did not grow up in a healthy church, um, you probably don't. You probably don't have a biblical understanding of what the church is. And again, I think this is one of those topics where we think we do. We're like, no, 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 Josh, I know in the church. We think we do, but we actually don't. Most of us have either a low view of the church or a distorted view of the church, or both, right? Because if you, to have a low view is, is a distorted view. So it's, it's, it's either both, right? Usually both. Um, to have a low view of the church, in, in our culture today, in, in Western, uh, modern-day United States, right, um, in America, we are the most individualistic culture ever in the history of planet Earth. There's never been a culture that's more individualistic than ours, right? This influences everything, everything that we do. It, inv- it influences everything in your life, right? The fact that I can get anything that I need secluded from society, right? I can just go on Amazon and in, in two days I can get whatever I want and I never have to see anybody. I never have to talk to anybody. It's amazing. I, I, it, like, Because I, who wants to engage with other people, right? We are Americans living in 2019, but this influences so much, and it influences our view of the church. 
because the church has not been taught on well for the past 50 years, or written about well in the past 50 years, in fact, even in seminaries now, you can get a master's level degree as a pastor and never take a class on the church. Think about it. You're going, to be a, you're going to be the shepherd, the leader, the pastor of the church. But you don't know what, you don't got to know what it is. It's amazing. And because of that, because pastors don't know what the church is, people can't know what the church is. Nobody's writing about it. Nobody's talking about it. And so we have a distorted view of it. We live in this individualistic culture where that has influenced what the church is, even for pastors. Churches become really whatever you want to be. Wherever you connect most with God, right? So for some, you've probably heard or maybe you've even said, my church is like nature. Like when I'm out in the woods, when I'm hiking or hunting or doing whatever outside, like the mountain, like that's, that's where I feel connected with God. That, that's my church. Maybe you would say, no, 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 for me, church is when I sit around a table with my friends and we share a meal together, like that's where I just feel the deepest, most kind of most spiritual connection to God. That, that's church for me. Some you say, no, 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 church is a place where we, where we gather and, and there, there's good music and, and exciting, entertaining preaching. And, they, and the preacher tells funny jokes and, and speaks from the word and like it's just good and there's good stories. Like that's church where I'm entertained. Others of you would still say, no, 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 no. Church for me is a holy place. There's stained glass and vaulted ceilings that draw the gaze up like those guys that built those buildings they knew what they're doing like is that that's where I feel most connected to God that's church for me still others of us would say no 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 church church is a is a religious institution where I can practice my faith it's an institution where I can where I can do the things that I'm supposed to do in my faith for many of our neighbors and our friends like that's actually what they would say church is a an institution that allows me or helps me to practice my faith. But the reality is that all of those things are individualistic things and at a fundamental level are flawed. They're flawed. Those things cannot be the church. We'll see that in a minute. It can't be. Some of you have maybe have said or heard things like, man, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Again, that's impossible. And friends, I'm telling you, you don't know Jesus you, you can't. You can't know Jesus, love Jesus, and not like the church. So in our culture right now, we can say, no, 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 I connected to Jesus through his word, which is good, right? We preached on that last week. Don't think I'm saying that's, that's bad. In fact, I, all of those things I said earlier are, are good things. Like, I connect with God in nature. Like, I love going to the mountains and just spending time with God. It's amazing. We can connect with God through his word and through prayer, through walking in the spirit. And so therefore, I don't need church. Friends, that's a sinful idea. It's broken and it's flawed. And Christ does not stand by that idea. Because the church to Jesus is the thing that he treasures more than he treasures anything on this earth. And so to say, I can connect with Christ, and I love Christ, and so therefore I can do that on my own, so therefore I don't need the church, and the church is, is not valuable as a flawed idea. The church is to be, it is to be this unbelievably wondrous, 
beautiful, life-changing, world-transforming thing. But because for the past 50 years we've given up on it, in this culture anyways, it's failed to be that. It's failed to be that. So what is it? What is the church? Well, theologian Wayne Grudem, this will be up here on the screen, theologian Wayne Grudem defines the church as the community of all true believers for all time. Now that's what we would call, that definition is what we call kind of the big C church, right? Capital letter C. You've heard me talk about this before if you've been around, like capital C versus small c. Um, Big C church is kind of, that's the definition. Every follower of Jesus that has ever lived and ever will live is the big C church, all-encompassing total church. But then there's the small C church, which is the local gathering, the the local church. Um, Pastor Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., in his book creatively titled The Church, um, said it this way. He said, the church is the body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together by serving him in his world. That's a little bit deeper of a definition, a little bit bit more specific. The body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together by serving him in his world. Now there's something that these two definitions have in common. They're both accurate. One's just a little bit broader than the other. At the core of them, it's a people. Grudem's definition and Deborah's definition. The church is a people. The church is a people. Not, not, a, not an idea. Not, not a movement. It's not nature. It's not a building. It's not a structure. It's not a preacher. It's not a band. It's not, it's not stained glass. It's, 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 not, uh, uh, it's not whatever. It's a people. So at its core, it cannot be an individualistic thing. It cannot be something that just you engage in. That's not the church. It must be people. In fact, the word comes from the Greek word ekklesia or ekklesia, right, which means gathering. It means a group of people who together, gathered. So it's a group of people. And where does it come from? This is what we're going to wrestle through today. Where does, this, where does this people, this specific people, where does it come from? What's it birthed from? I'm going to make the case today that the church is a people created by God through the gospel. The church has been created. For those of you who think that's always been, it has not always been. It has not always been. It was created by God. It's a new creation. It was a new creation 2,000 years ago. It's a new creation today. The church is a new creation created by God. Paul speaks of uh, this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, individual, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And you might say, Josh, wait, that's individualistic, right? You're talking about an individual is the new creation. The church is the community of those persons. The, the people, those people together collectively are the church. It's a people, a new people, a new covenant people. 
right? In the, for all time, God has been revealing his glory through gathered people, through communities of persons, right? In the Old Testament, we see God revealing his glory to the nations through the nation of Israel. This was his plan. This is what he did, right? Uh, for, for all time, this is what he's been doing. He's been revealing his plan to restore all things to himself for his glory through communities of persons. Now, we know in the nation of Israel uh, that there were leaders that we, that we can name. They're famous, right? His birth through uh, Abraham is led by Moses and Joshua and the, the kings of David and Solomon and uh, the, the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah. We, we can name the leaders, but ultimately the work was not done through the leaders. It was done amongst the people. The people have always been the example pointing us to God's redeeming work. Revealing his glory through the nations. And this, so this people, right, the Old Testament people were, were a covenant people. They had made a covenant with God, the Old Covenant. Throughout time, they've been referred to in different ways by God. In uh, Ezekiel 16, uh, 6, they're referred to as God's spouse. In Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, um, his vine. In Ezekiel 34, 4, his flock. So this Old Covenant people. That are his spouse and his vine and his flock. This is the Old Testament way that God did this. Now, when Christ shows up on the scene, he creates a new covenant. Luke twenty-two twenty, Christ creates a new covenant, and along with that new covenant, he creates a new covenant people. He he fulfills the old covenant. It's done. It's fulfilled. It's completed, and he and he creates a new covenant with a new covenant. People And those people are also described throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians 5, it's described as the bride of Christ. That's interesting. People of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant people were described as the bride of God. Ephesians 5, the bride of Christ. Um, he, it, God, uh, Paul is writing, he, he uh, creates this analogy. And he's talking to husbands and telling them how they're supposed to love their wives. They're supposed to love their wives as Christ loves his church, his bride. The thing that he loves more than he loves anything on the earth is his church. Right? And so if anyone were to say, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. It's the equivalent of saying, dude, I really like you. I, in fact, I love you. I just don't like your wife. How's that conversation going to go? That friendship's going to be a really deep, meaningful one. It just doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. The branch of Christ, John 15, and of course the flock of Christ, the good shepherd in John 10, right? Again, to say, no, 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 I, I don't need the church, right? It's like a sheep being like, dude, can you just be my shepherd? And we'll just go to our own little field and do our own little thing. Who cares about those other sheep, right? At the core, when Jesus asked, man, what, what's the most important commandment? He says, well, love God and love people. You can't follow Jesus and not love the church. It is his bride. It's his treasure, and he has gone through great lengths to purchase her, to establish her, to create her. This brings us to the next piece, right? So it was created. It was created by Christ. It was created by God through the gospel. It was created by God, not by a person. The church was actually created. It was shaped, molded, birthed forth by the God of all things. This is not... Peter didn't establish a church. 
The Pope in Rome didn't establish the church. No human being established the church. God established the church. In Acts uh, 20, Paul is writing to church leaders. And he, he says it this way. If I can find my notes. There it is. Uh, in Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says it this way. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, that is the church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How did God create and establish the church? Through his own blood. Uh, Only by the blood of Christ. Only by the blood of Christ is the church created and established and fashioned and molded and obtained. The new people, the new people of God are birthed forth from the blood of Christ. Or we would say, right, kind of a, a picture of that or a word that encompasses that is the gospel. The gospel is what establishes the church. The gospel is what births the church. The church is created through the gospel. This is what every true church has at its core. An accurate, healthy picture of the gospel. There are many churches that are not really churches, right? We use the language church to describe them, right? Faith communities that are doing things. Maybe they're doing good things in the community. They're helping people. They're, right? they're, I'm not saying they're doing bad things. They're doing, you know, favorable things. But at the core, they're not a church because the gospel is not the core of what they do. An accurate, real, healthy picture of the gospel is not at the core. The gospel must be the foundation, the core, the cornerstone in order for a church to be a real church. Well, what is the gospel, right? That's the, that has to be the next question. So the, the church is a people created by God through the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is not, it is not a series of doctrines, principles, laws, ordinances, and covenants. Let me say that again. You might have heard that at some point. It is not a series of doctrines, principles, laws, ordinances, and covenants. It is a singular, singular idea that has implications on every area of your life. Singular idea. The gospel is one singular point, one singular idea that has implications on everything. There's one singular salvation, right, which, which we just learned in Acts 20, comes only through, only through the blood of Christ, not the merit of men. Only the blood of Christ can bring about a to- total and complete and full singular salvation. The gospel begins in the beginning of time, right? Adam and Eve sin. They rebel against God. They fall short. They fall short of his glory, his majesty, his holiness, his might. They rebel against him. They say, man, my way is better than your way. And they find out quickly, that's not true. And every human being that has ever lived has followed suit. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God again and again and again. This week you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every human being who has ever lived except for one. The person and the God, Jesus Christ. You see, because of our failure, because of our brokenness, because of what we have done, a perfect and holy and just and blameless God says there there must be a punishment due there. 
I cannot be perfectly just and just allow this to go unanswered. I cannot be perfectly just and kind of just dismiss it and be like, oh, who cares? It's no big deal. It's a massive deal that you have rejected the holiness and the wonder and the beauty of an almighty God. Like, that's a big deal. And a perfectly just God cannot just shrug that off. But a perfectly loving God, he also is. And so while in his infinite goodness, he could have still been perfectly good to just say, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to end this. I'm just going to destroy creation and be done with it. Just wipe it off the face of the earth. Just be done. Just, just destroy it all. Start over. He would have been infinitely good in doing that. He had every right. A just God could have done that. But in his infinite grace and mercy in which he has lavished upon us, he took the punishment. The, the sacrifice had to be acceptable, had to be just. There's only one of two things. Either it's all of us or one pure, holy, unblemished, unstained sacrifice. Something perfect. The only thing that could have been is God himself. And so God himself takes the form of a man, since that punishment's due to man. He becomes a person Jesus of Nazareth, he lives among us, he goes to the cross to die in your place so that your sin might be washed away by the blood of Christ. All of it. This is a key piece of the gospel. All of it. There's one singular salvation. One singular salvation. And all of it is purchased by the blood of Christ. 100%. The gospel is not something where, where you get 20%. And this person over here gets 50%. And you in the back, you get 70 and This guy down front, you only get like five, all right? That's not how it works. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That is so far from the gospel. It, 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 everything in Scripture wars against that idea. Christ died once for all. All salvation, total, complete, it's done, paid for. There is no way that you can earn more access to him. Now, now you can tap into that access by drawing near to him through his word, through prayer, through the gathering of the saints here at church. Right? You can, you can tap into that access, but you can't gain more of it by doing all the right things, by checking off boxes. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. Now, some of you in the room might say, well, yeah, yeah I've known that since I was a kid. That's... What's the big deal, Josh? It's a massive deal. Because it's something that we fall into all the time. Throughout the ages, it has become popular to say, Jesus plus these other things gets you salvation or salvations. That's not how it works. You see, to, to, to believe that, we fall into, we're going to fall into one of two things. Either legalism, which is very common and popular, it's something that we love. We love legalism. Because legalism says that I get to do it. I'm in control, and I can earn it. I don't, I don't want to be given the free handouts. I want to earn it. We love legalism. Whether you realize it or not, you love legalism. So we're either going to fall into legalism, or we're going to fall into manipulation. And the two are very deeply linked. People will be able to dangle the carrot of salvation in front of you and say, you just need to do these things in order to gain that. Both are not the gospel. 
One of my favorite quotes, or I should say one of my, the staff here, my staff's favorite quotes, they love it when I quote it. Um, they get a good chuckle out of it every time. Uh, comes from a guy, um, he was an early Swiss reformer, Holdrich Zwingli. Um, if you know anything about church history, uh, 500 years ago, um, if you wanted to go to church, there was only one place you could go to church, right? In every town, in the entire known world, there's only one place you can go to church, and that was the Church of Rome. You didn't have to literally go to Rome, but the church in Rome controlled it all. They controlled every aspect of the church. If you wanted to go to church, you went to a church that was controlled by the church in Rome. And during this time, the church in Rome became unbelievably corrupt. Because when you control everything, that's what tends to happen, right? You become corrupted by that power. You begin to get greedy. And they begin to buy into this idea and to sell this idea that it's Jesus is great and he's going to atone you. But you also need to do these things and buy these things called indulgences and a myriad of other things. But that was a primary piece of this. And so these reformers rose up, and if you know anything about church history, you've heard of some of them. Guys like Martin Luther, who was a great reformer in Germany. Guys like John Calvin, who was a reformer in France, and then later moves to Switzerland because he's driven out of France by the Roman Catholic Church. Somebody you might have not heard of is Huldrych Zwingli. Zwingli was the leader of the Reformation in Switzerland. He was actually killed in battle, warring against the Catholic Church. That's how intense this was. The Catholic Church killed the guy. In battle, as they marched on his town, and the townspeople went out to war because the town had said, no, 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 we believe that this is wrong, and we're going to start our new thing. The Reformation is birthed from that. So Martin Luther, right, is known as the guy who nails his 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and we, we celebrate that, and so that's a big deal. But it was actually a pretty common thing at the time. All these guys did that. Martin Luther had his 95 Thesis. Zwingli had his 67 Articles. That he'd also written. Not, not as cool, I guess, as Martin Luther. Martin Luther had 95, Zwingli had 67. But his 67 articles, the, the first few are amazing. The second one is all about the gospel. And the third, I'll have it up here on the screen. The third, um, kind of, they all build on each other. The third one says this. Hence, Christ is the only way to salvation for all who ever were and are and shall be. There is no other way. There's no other way to salvation but Christ he is the only singular way. The gospel is God taking the reins 100% and saying, I'm going to do this. You do nothing. It's the only way. Christ. And this is the piece that the staff love. Number four. Who, the person who seeks or points out another door, yes, he errs. Yes, he is a murderer of souls and a thief. I say that all the time. That guy's a murderer of souls and a thief. They love it. Uh, and, and here's the thing. It's, it's often joking, right? Con okay, partially joking. Um, but it's true. If you just think about it for a second, if you think about what Zwingli's saying, what he's saying is when somebody says, Jesus, and you do these things, they're stealing from you. They're saying, Jesus, but then you have to give a certain amount or buy these special things or give a certain amount. They're stealing your money. And they're leading you to a gospel that is not the gospel. They're murder of souls and they're thieves. They're saying Jesus, plus you have to serve in these areas and, and do all these certain things. They're stealing your time. And they're leading you to a gospel that's not the gospel. They're a murder of souls and a thief. That's what he's saying. That's what he's communicating. And it's true. He goes on in number five. He says, therefore, all who consider other teachings equal to or higher than the gospel 
air and do not know what the gospel is. If you think that there's something as good as or better than the gospel, something that you need just as much, you are wrong. And it just shows that you don't know what the gospel actually is. You don't know what it is. The gospel is God doing 100% of the work. Not just saving you. Not just going to the cross for you and creating that atoning sacrifice on the cross, but leading you to it. God reveals to us the mystery and the wonder and the goodness of the gospel. You don't, you don't naturally come upon that. You're not going to hear a sermon on it and be like, oh, I get it now. No, no, no. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, supernaturally reveals the beauty and the glory of the gospel to us. And then he gives us the power to follow it, to repent of our sin, turn towards Christ, and lay ourselves on, at, his, at his feet uh, and surrender our life to him and, and accept his mercy and his grace over our lives. By the, by, through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the power every single day to do that. The gospel is 100% the work of God is 0% you. And to believe otherwise is to err and to show that you don't actually know what the gospel is. The gospel creates a new people, and those people are the church. Jesus talked about this. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus asked, well, he asked his disciples, he says, who, who do people think I am? Well, some, of you, some people think that you're like John the Baptist come back alive. Some people think you're a prophet. Um, some people think you're Elijah. And Jesus says, well, wait, who do you think I am? Verse 15, he says, who do you, think I, who do you, who do you say I am? And in 16, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Right, that's his real name, his birth name. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Right? 100% God. Nobody, no, no, no human being, no flesh, no blood, no human being has told you this or showed you this or revealed this to you. Now Jesus has been, Jesus has been demonstrating this and telling his disciples this for a long time. But he says, no human being has told you this. God of all things has revealed that to you. 100% the work of God. Then he goes on, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a misunderstood text. What is the rock that the church is going to be built on? It is not Peter. If you've been taught that, that is not what Jesus is saying. The rock is Peter's answer to the question that Jesus is the almighty Messiah, the Son of God. That's the rock. That's the foundation of the church. The gospel is the foundation, the cornerstone of the church. Paul goes on to write about this multiple places in 1 Corinthians 3.10. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, that's important. We're going to talk about that next week. Every follower of Jesus is called to be one who carefully, carefully builds on the foundation of the gospel for the sake of the church. We'll talk about that next week. He goes on to say, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is the foundation. No one can lay any other foundation. If somebody says it's something more than the gospel or something different than the gospel, they are wrong. 
wrong. It cannot be anything else. No one can relay that foundation. This is not a work of men. This is a work of God. In Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, uh, the first part of Ephesians 2, Paul gives this unbelievable picture of the gospel that saves us. And then he goes on to give an unbelievable picture of the gospel that creates the church. In verse 13 he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been saved 100%. If you are in Christ, you've given your life to him. 100%. You've been brought near. You were once far off, alienated from God, separated by, this, by the curse of sin and death. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He goes on, verse 19, skipping down a little bit. So then you who were, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now he's going to unpack the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, the same gospel that saves us brings us together for the glory of God into this community called the church. The same gospel that we cling to, we say, man, this is so important because it saves me, is the one that's calling you to something greater. It's calling you to invest your life into something deeper and far bigger than yourself. It births the church. And the church is the vessel that contains and displays the glorious work of the gospel. It is the temple of God, not a building, but a gathered people. Not a building, but a gathered people. The people of Christ are to be a people who gather together to contain and display the wondrous, masterful, unbelievable work of the gospel to a world that's desperately in need of it. This is why the church is so valuable to Christ, so beloved by him, so treasured by him, that he would give up his life for it. It cannot be an individualistic thing. It must be a shared thing. This is why to, to, to make it an individualistic thing is a sinful thing. It's to, to fundamentally alter the, what it was actually created to be. A community of persons, a people that love Jesus more than they love anything in the world. If you want to find a good church, if you want to find a true church, listen to the gospel. Is it accurate? Is it clear? Is it full? Is it complete? Is it 100% God and 0% you? Now, how do I know if it's a healthy church? Because it can be a real church, but it be unhealthy. Well, there's a spectrum. Where is the gospel when it comes to how close is the gospel to the core of all they do? Is every decision, every dream, every hope, every, every strategy, every idea, every sermon, every ministry deeply rooted in the gospel? Does everything flow out of it? From the, from the preschool ministry to the pulpit, does everything flow out of it? The more that is true, the healthier the church is going to be. Simple. And so someday you may leave Flourishing Grace, you may leave Utah, maybe your job takes you elsewhere, your family takes you elsewhere, and you want to find a new church. You want to find a healthy church? Does the gospel flow out of every 
area of the church? Or is their preschool ministry more about fluffy videos that tell kids to be good kids, to listen to mom and dad and follow the rules and obey, behavioral modification? We love that, right? Because I love it when my kid comes home and he says, Dad, I'm supposed to be good. That's awesome. But it doesn't work. Because I know that my kid little boy is going to become a high schooler or a college-age student someday, and they're going to give up on those things because they no longer want to do the things that are going to please me. They want to do the things that are going to be good for them. But they don't know what's good for them because they were never taught the gospel. They were never taught that the beauty and the wonder and the magnificence of Christ, that there's a treasure greater than all the treasures of the world, of the, of the earth. There's nothing greater than Jesus. And so that when they grow up, they, they realize that all the trinkets of the world pale in comparison to the beauty of Christ. That's what I want from my little boys. So from the preschool ministry to the pulpit, the gospel must be the central thing. It must be the thing that we're always talking about, the thing that everything flows out of. If not, attendance becomes the priority, not transformation. We become more like a business. A business that's more about the murdering of souls than the saving of souls. Thinking that we're doing good things, but ultimately creating the disaster for people later on in their lives. And so if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, or you've been a part of a church for a long time, and you've never actually understood this. The, the weight and the depth of this. And so I just want to challenge you. I want to ask you the question, man. Do you treasure the church the way Christ treasures the church? If you, if you claim to love Jesus more than you love anything in the world, do you love what he loves more than he loves anything else? How does that play out in your life? What's the evidence of that? Where do you see that in your life? What are the things you can point to and say, here's, here's the proof of that in my life? That's probably not a question that you can answer by yourself. You're going to need people in your life. You're going to need friends to, to help you answer that question. If you want help answer that question, I'll help you answer that question. I'd be glad to sit down with you and just, just probe a little bit and just ask you some questions that will be revealing and, and say well, yes or no. Like, do I treasure the gospel? Do I treasure the church? The way that Christ treasures it. For those of you who are not a follower of Jesus, maybe you just came on the arm of a friend and you're just, you're just around for the day. I, I want to say this to you. Listen, there's no such thing as a perfect church. Don't, don't mishear what I'm saying. Flourishing grace is not that, nor will we ever be this side of heaven. We'll never be a perfect church. The church is a gathering of, it's a people. It's, it's a people. And people are imperfect. And so we will make silly decisions. We'll do the wrong thing. We'll mess up. But is the gospel at the core? Are we hard on ourselves? I would challenge you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, look, are we hard on ourselves? Are we constantly pressing in and saying, man, why are we doing this thing? Is the gospel not at the core of all that we do? And if, if it is, then we have nothing to gain from you. And I think that's an important thing because this, this is... When we get hurt by the church, and some of us in this room have been hurt by the church, most of the time, it comes from someone who is outside of the gospel, has chosen to gain something for themselves. Rather than giving all the glory and all the praise and all the wonder and all the might and the majesty to Jesus, because they love the gospel, and the gospel is at the core, they've stepped outside and said, no, no, I want some for myself. 
and they've said something to you, they've taken something from you, they, they've betrayed you, they've lied to you, they've done something to you that's hurt you, and you said, man, the church is an institution that's not to be trusted. Man, I, I want to challenge you to rethink that. Is a true, healthy church, is that true of a true, healthy church that, that, that is constantly pressing towards the gospel? I'm going to argue, no, it's not. I'm going to argue, no, it's not. There's a lot of things that can look like the church, but only one thing that can be it. And that thing at its core, at its foundation, the cornerstone, is the full gospel of Christ. 100% the work of God, 0% you. Let us give ourselves to him, and let us be a people who contain and display the glory of that gospel. Let me pray for us, and we'll get out of here. Jesus, we come before you this morning, and I praise you, and I thank you for your church, for, for your church globally, all around the world. They're gathering together. Those who truly do love you more than they love anything in this world, who have made you their Savior, I praise you for that. I also praise you for this church, Flourishing Grace. The way that you have protected us, the way that you've led us, convicted us to keep the gospel at the center of all we do, to be slow to make decisions, to run them through the lens of the gospel. How does this glorify and demonstrate the work of Christ? And if not, let's not do it. And if it does, let's invest. I pray that they would continue here. I pray that over the next few weeks that you would strengthen our view and our understanding of the church. That it would become more clear, more robust, and more biblical. Would you give that to us here at Flourishing Grace? For your glory, not for ours. I pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.